0: Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, let's go. Daniel chapter 10 is where we find ourselves this morning as we're finishing up this series through the Old Testament prophet Daniel. Lord willing, we will end up next week. I think we're going to handle the last two chapters in one chunk since it's really one scene and one story, one, one uh, episode out of this book. And this morning we have chapter 10 before us, which is uh, a kind of a, of a peek behind the curtain, if you will, of what is going on in the heavenlies. If you are joining us just for the first time we will catch you up. You may be a little bit disoriented as we're reading through Daniel chapter 10, but along the way we'll stop and pick you up on the context of what's going on in Daniel chapter 10. And just very briefly before we read Daniel 10, just to orient you very quickly, Daniel was a Jewish young man who was part of God's chosen people in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, And God had called and formed this nation out of nothing and called them to be his representative to all the nations of the earth so that through the life and the sanctification and the godliness of this people, God would shine through them so that he would draw all people to himself. Much like the mission of the church in the New Testament. But God's people, much like the church in the New Testament, continued to rebel against God. And God warned them that if they continued to rebel against Him, that He would hand them over by His providence, by His sovereignty, He would hand them over to the Babylonian uh, empire and would take them into captivity. And He warned them a hundred years ahead of time that that's what would happen. And that is exactly, in fact, what did happen. And that's where the book of Daniel starts off. And the book of Daniel then is a, a story of God's people living in a captive foreign land. They're living as exiles in a land that is ultimately not their home, much like Christians today. I mean, we may have on our passport stamped American, but I hope you realize that if you are a Christian, you are not primarily a citizen of any particular country on this earth, but your citizenship, as Paul writes in Philippians 1, is in heaven. And you are living in exile until God brings his people faithfully home. And so the story of Daniel and his friends as they are living in captivity is particularly powerful for us as we, as we are living in our own sort of modern-day Babylon in our culture today. And up to this point, we've seen many stories of Daniel's faithfulness and visions about how God has given Daniel visions about what the future holds. And in Daniel chapter 10... It's as if, for just a moment, God pulls back the curtain and gives Daniel a picture of a battle that is raging in the heavenlies. And this is one of the most striking chapters in the whole book of daniel really maybe in the whole old testament maybe in the whole bible I know I function I know I'm so hyperbolic and I exaggerate and I know romans is the best chapter best book in the bible and romans 8 is the best chapter in the bible and you guys scoff at me because I just everything's the best 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 and pretty soon I'm going to run out of scriptures to say this is the best but really daniel chapter 10 is pretty amazing (laughs) it is a picture of a battle that rages that's been raging since the garden of eden And it still continues to rage today. So before I read, let me just give you the two points. They're very simple. I just want you to hold on to them, and then we'll come back to them and apply them a little bit. But the two things that I want you to see in the text from Daniel's life is that Daniel's prayer provoked a heavenly battle. And then secondly, Daniel is assured that the outcome of this battle is certain, okay? So you can write those down if you're a note taker. We're going to put that up again at the end. Daniel's prayer provoked provoked a heavenly battle and Daniel was assured that the outcome is certain. Well, let me pray and ask the Lord to help us and then we'll begin to work through the chapter. Father, again, we, we come to you just humbly. We need to hear from you. We need your grace today. Lord, in this room, there are people that are trusting in you in all varying stages of sanctification. Lord, wherever your people are would you meet them would you spur the strong onto love and good works and self forgetfulness so that they would give their lives away for the sake of the gospel for the weak the faint heart would you encourage them strengthen them embolden them put steel in their spine and fortify their their anxious hearts for the unbelievers that are surely in this room with a crowd this size Would you do what only you can do? Would you take their dead hearts and would you make them alive? Lord, my hope, as Spurgeon said, my hope is not in the freeness of a man's will, but my hope is in the freeness of your grace that you by your sovereign grace would take a person that walked into this room, maybe not even realizing that they are separated from you by their sin and unbelief and that you by your sovereign grace would give them a new heart so that they can breathe for the first time the fruit of repentance and faith and run to Christ and put all of their hope and trust in him. Lord, would you do that even now In this time, as we gather around your word, which is able to do immeasurably more than we can even ask or think, Lord, do it through me, even your weak, feeble, feeble, feeble vessel. And I pray that you do this for the glory of your name, the joy of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, now by this time, Daniel was probably in his mid 80s. He was deported, taken captive by the king of Babylon in his mid-teens. So it's probably been 70 years since he was taken into captivity by the Babylonian empire, specifically Nebuchadnezzar. Since that time, as God prophesied through the prophet Isaiah hundred years before Another kingdom, the Persian kingdom, with a ruler named Cyrus, came and conquered the Babylonians, and because they conquered the Babylonians, they took what the Babylonians had, which was these Jewish captives, and God put it on the heart of this Persian king Cyrus to allow God's people to go back back to the Holy Land, to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the city and the temple that the Babylonians, the previous captors, had destroyed when they sieged Jerusalem. So we're 70 years in. Daniel is in his mid-80s. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel whose name was Belteshazzar, which is the Babylonian name that, that Nebuchadnezzar had given him some 70 years before. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. So Daniel's receiving this this vision from God. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. Daniel is probably mourning at this point. The text doesn't tell us why. But Daniel is probably mourning because this new king Cyrus from Persia, who has defeated the Babylonians and is now in control of the Jewish people was gracious to God's people, as was prophesied he would do even before his birth. God's in control of all kings, all nations. He has allowed God's people to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple in the city. Daniel's not one of them. He is, he is still in you know, captivity. But Daniel gets reports, and we read about this in other parts of the Bible, specifically in Ezra chapter 4, where Daniel gets reports that the rebuilding campaign of the city of Jerusalem, the walls and the temple, is not going well. And so he is very likely mourning over the opposition that his people are facing as they have gone back to Jerusalem. And it sets his heart to mourning and to prayer. Verse 3, I ate no delicacies, nor meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all. That was a way of taking a shower. You know, they didn't have like running water like we did. You couldn't just turn it on. And so for him not to anoint him, that's the way they bathed. So he didn't take a shower for three weeks. I wonder if this is a verse that has motivated my teenage boys. I don't know. They, they seem to take Daniel's cue. For Anyway, keep going. Verse 4. On the 24th, teenage boys have a special type of stink. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> I don't know where that came. I'm sorry. On the 20th, the other day, Jennifer was in the laundry, <laughs> and she said, what happened in our laundry room? Boys happened. That's what happened. That had nothing to do with the text. I'm sorry. I just hit my mind. On the 24th day of the first month, verse 4, I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face, that's a precious stone, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. So just let's pause there and take in the context here. Daniel's mourning and praying, as we'll read here in, in verse 12 in just a minute. He's doing this because likely he's heard of the opposition that his people are facing as they've been allowed to go back to rebuild Jerusalem by Cyrus. Again, this pagan dictator who's now in charge of God's people. And remember at this time that Daniel is in his mid-80s. We tend to picture Daniel as this young man who's in the lion's den, you know, with a staff and just confident. But he's in his, he is an octogenarian one of my favorite words. When we started Crosspoint and Jennifer and I about 11 years ago were really I think maybe the oldest people in the church in our mid-30s. I used to talk about not wasting your 70 years and then our congregation started getting a little bit older and I started getting a little bit older and I started like bumping that up a couple decades. So now we talk about 80 and 90 years. But there's this sense here that Daniel is not, let that be an encouragement to you if you are retired, that he is not wasting his life. He is intimately involved with the mission of God among his people. He's giving himself to prayer. Just as a little rabbit trail here, I was talking to a couple at Crosspoint who's thinking about, and they're certainly not in their 80s, but they're a little bit older than me, and they're thinking about uh, maybe the last third of their life about what God might do. And this is a family that was on the mission field that's back now and is thinking about what God may do in the last third of their lives. And they, I was so encouraged as they were thinking about giving away their potential retirement for the service of God. So think about that. If you're in your mid-80s, consider making Prayer for God's work amongst his people. Like really part, like give your life away to something more than just retirement or trust funds or leisure or golf or fishing or whatever. Not that God is against those things, but but let's be people who die spent with nothing in our hands. Amen. I was encouraged by that anyway. Let's keep going. Verse 10, and behold, a hand touched me. And set me trembling, on my hands and knees. This is just a whole other picture of who, what it's like to encounter a heavenly being. I mean, this is not touched by an angel. This is not Clarence, and it's a wonderful life. Who is this heavenly being? Well, there's a little bit of scholarly debate. Is it Jesus before the incarnation, or is it Gabriel, or other some other angelic being? I don't know the answer to that question. I would think it's probably not a pre-incarnate or pre-Jesus before he comes to earth. I think it's probably just an angelic being. But notice the effect. Notice the holiness of this heavenly being and the effect that it has even on a righteous man like Daniel. And he said to me, verse eleven, Oh Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, verse 12, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, in other words, three weeks before when you started to pray, listen to this your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia, he's not a good guy, clearly in context, the prince of the Persian of, uh, kingdom of Persia is a demonic being, withstood me 21 days. So there's this angelic being speaking to Daniel, saying that as soon as you started praying, I was dispatched by heaven... But it's taken me three weeks to get here because I faced opposition. I was in a fight with whoever this figure is, the kingdom, the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Right there, the curtain is pulled back a little bit. And this angelic being, this heavenly being is telling Daniel, I've been in combat in the heavenlies. That's why I'm a little late. That's amazing. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. So there's this, picture this, there's this steel cage death match going on between this heavenly being and this spiritual force of wickedness. And whoever this heavenly being is gives the signal that he needs a little assistance. And Michael comes and double teams the king of Persia the prince of the king of Persia. Friends, we are getting a glimpse into a heavenly battle that has been raging since the beginning and rages even now. Verse 14, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Friends, how does the New Testament shed light on and interpret what's happening here in Daniel chapter 10? Well, I think it's stated as clearly as can possibly be stated by Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, where he says in verse 12 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly places. Paul is giving explanation hundreds of years later in his letter to the Ephesians of what is happening here in Daniel chapter 10. And Paul is personalizing that. He's saying, for we, all of us, this isn't just some sort of distant, far-off battle that Daniel happened to be uh, getting a front-row seat to. This is something that God's people are engaged in all the time. And then listen to this. These are amazing words. Verse 12, this heavenly being says to Daniel, I have come because of your words. In other words, now listen, if there's anything that I hope, if you've been around for just a little while, I hope you understand that one of the things, in fact, every now and again I get a little criticized because I, I, I make a lot, I, I make a big deal about the sovereignty of God. I, I don't know if you've noticed that or not. I think it is, I think without that doctrine of the utter and exhaustive, complete sovereignty of God, I think, I I am so frail and weak that I think I would go crazy. I I believe that the Westminster Confession of Faith and the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689 is completely true where it says in paragraph three, and I know some of you are getting really excited that had to memorize that confession of faith when you were little kids. I think in paragraph three somewhere there it says about the providence and sovereignty of God that he ordains whatsoever comes to pass. I, I believe that. I believe in Isaiah 46 where God says through the prophet Isaiah that I have declared the end from the beginning. (laughs) I believe that time is set. I believe that the future is not open. I believe that God knows the end from the beginning. I believe God is utterly Sovereign, And I believe God's relationship with evil and wicked things that happen, even the most wicked of things that have happened in human history, is so complex and so mysterious that we cannot put those two things together. But yet they are joined in the heavenlies because God is over all things. In fact... He's taken the greatest evil in the history of the world. Reynolds mentioned it this morning before we released the children because they're speaking about the crucifixion of Jesus in kids' church this morning, that God in his sovereign providence wasn't reacting to the crucifixion of God the Son, but in fact, planned for it, and as Paul or Peter says in Acts 2 and Acts 4, he predestined that it would take place through the hands of evil men. So my point is, friends, is that I believe that God is utterly, exhaustively sovereign. But, and this is what blows my mind, he is sovereign in a way that he uses the means of our willful response. Notice what it said in verse 12. He said that this angelic being came not because God had written a plan that was just unfolding whether or not humans participated in it from eternity past, but the causing agent in the angel being dispatched is the prayers of Daniel. Put that in your theological box of mysteries that are hard to put together and meditate on it God sends angels because of Daniel's prayer and yet he's unfolding everything that happens according to his sovereign plan I'm encouraged by that as I live in a culture and a time that is turbulent verse 15 when we when he had spoken to me according to these words I turned my face toward the ground and was mute and behold one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips then I opened my mouth and spoke and I said to him who stood before me O oh my Lord my reason of the vision pains uh, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me and I retain no strength how can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord for now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me verse 18 Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, "O man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the, against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. Another demonic force, evidently in charge of some particular geographical region, Greece, will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed, verse 21. He said, i got a little bit more work to do. Michael's got him pinned down. we got to go finish him off, and then there's going to be another one that we're going to fight. Verse 21 But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And then chapters 11 and 12, which we'll get into next week, is the truth that is inscribed that he's going to explain to Daniel in incredible detail of what's going to happen in the coming years to God's people. So again, a glimpse into the heavenly battle. And we have a front row seat through Daniel chapter 10. Back to our two truths, the two things that we see in the scripture. And then we're going to apply them and and we'll respond in prayer and worship and be done. Daniel's prayer provoked a heavenly battle. A battle has been raging in the heavenlies since Genesis chapter 3. We won't take the time to read it, but in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 when Adam and Eve disobey God and they are excommunicated from the Garden of Eden, they're separated from God's presence, God tells Adam and Eve that he will put enmity or warfare between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. So mankind, from that point, is fighting a battle against the seed of the serpent. And we see the seed of the serpent, these... These demonic forces of wickedness in the the prince of the kingdom of Persia and this prince of the kingdom of Greece that will come. A battle has been raging since Genesis 3. And again, Paul interprets it for us in Ephesians 6. Let's read a little bit more out of Ephesians 6. Listen to this. This is happening even now. Friends, it's happening in our culture. It's happening in this room. It's happening in the hearts and minds of every person who's trusted in Christ. And it's happening in the hearts of those that God is drawing. There's a war going on. Paul says in verse 10 of chapter 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He is a schemer. And he has been scheming a lot longer than you have been trying to obey God. Think about that for a moment. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth to work through that incredible text we preached through Ephesians several years ago. But I just want you to get that picture of the vividness that Paul sees this battle that Christians are engaged in. There's a vividness. He's, he's not calling us says, you know, just look. Settle into a decent church. Make sure they have good children's ministry. And oh, 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 make sure that the music style and preferences to your liking. And are they nice? Did they greet you the first time you came? Are the seats comfortable? Are the pastor's sermons too long? If they are, consider finding another church. Is the people around you like you? Are they of your same demographic? Do they agree with you politically? Will they cause you any discomfort? If they do, think about it. No, he's saying arm yourself for a conflict that has been raging since the beginning of time and everything in our culture, and in everything in the type of Christianity that is marketed by Christian publishers often, not everything, that's a bit much, but much of what is marketed by Christian pub- publishers is meant to lull you to sleep in a type of comfortable Christianity that will take you out. It will take you out. And it comes completely contrary to what Paul was saying here, and completely contrary to the picture that we read in Daniel chapter 10, friends, prayer provokes a heavenly battle that has been raging. Friends, we just think about human history. Just think, just think on a global sense. Just think about the evil through the centuries. Think about just even in this last century. Think about Adolf Hitler. Do you think that was mere human conniving and charisma and oratory skill? that allowed this one man to have such a sway over what had previously been an incredibly advanced and really academic culture in Germany? Friends, behind that were cosmic forces of evil that impacted human history and wrought destruction to the tune of the massacre of six to seven million Jews. Friends, do we think that merely there is a difference of opinion about life in the womb and that what happened in a Supreme Court in 1973, I believe, Roe versus Wade, was merely... A difference between logic and scientific opinion of what is happening in a woman's womb, and then has led to the legalization of the murder of children that has killed over 50 million babies in the past 40 years. Do we think that is just mere human difference of opinion? Friends, nothing could be further from the truth. Do we think that it is merely an earnest ideology that is fueling radical Islamic terrorists and these wicked men that make up ISIS to do the unspeakable things that they do that would 15 years ago cause men to hijack planes and fly them into buildings? Friends, do we realize that behind that are spiritual forces of wickedness that are opposed to everything about God and His kingdom? Do we think that the current tension and hostility that exists even in our culture politically now and racially is just merely the fruit of human differences of opinion? Friends, behind that are spiritual forces of wickedness that are raging against God and His purposes. But let's not just let it float 30,000 feet in the air on a sort of global or countrywide or universal level. Do we think that the battles going on for our own soul are merely just a matter of flesh and blood? This is what Jesus says to Peter right before his denial in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32. He looks at Peter and he says, Peter, Satan has demanded for you, he's asked of you, he's inquired of you, that he may sift you as wheat but I have prayed for you that you remain strong and when you return, come back and strengthen your brothers. Jesus gives us a picture there of what's going on in the heavenlies in the life of one individual. Satan is knocking on the door asking for you so that he may destroy you. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 5 because this isn't just about kingdoms and Greece and Persia and, and Israel in the Old Testament. This touches down in the life of every believer. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Friends, it's At the doorstep of every heart in this room, the enemy prowls about like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, how does he do that? It's been my experience that he doesn't jump out from behind a rock and say, Hi, Brad. I'm your adversary, Satan, the devil. Or I am the prince of the kingdom of... Of Columbus, and I've been dispatched by the father of lies to come and destroy your life. Would you be interested in some, uh, you know, (laughs) meth or some disastrous sin or black tar heroin or how about a little embezzlement of the church's money? How about that? How about that? How about we get into that? And it will wreck your life. You want to sign up? No, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, I think, that he comes as an angel of light. We live in such an age of distraction and insecurity that I think spiritual warfare in our hearts works itself out so much more subtly. It works itself into the hearts of young moms who spend way too much time trying to get the perfect picture of their children on Instagram so that they can compare it to the perfect picture of the children who just happen to be a little bit cuter of their friend who they're in a Bible study with, who then they secretly resent because their husband doesn't have as good of a job, their house isn't quite as HGTV ready, and their children aren't quite as well behaved, sleeping through the night eating kale for breakfast. It works itself out in the hearts of young men who spend way too much time looking at pictures of girls on the internet in their Instagram poses because God forbid that a young lady take a picture with a group of other young women and doesn't just right position her arm and her hip for optimal whatever. And then that young man A battle is raging in his soul and the prince of the kingdom of Columbus or Georgia or America or one of his minions is dispatched to the doorstep of the heart of that young man and lust is wrecking his soul and causing him discontent in all that God has graciously given him. We've got a room full of soldiers here. And as much as I love the Army and as much as I'm so grateful for our military, I spent about five years in it, and it is an idol factory. There are young men in this room who are making an idol out of a ranger tab or a CIB or E6 rank or whatever it is, and it will destroy your soul. And in Daniel chapter 10, God is opening up the curtain, giving us a picture, not so that we would say, wow, there's things happening on a cosmic level, but so that we would arm ourselves for the battle, knowing that God is fighting for us, that the enemy has got a zero on us, and it is real. But let's be assured Even as true and as real as the battle is, let's be assured of that second truth, and it is this, that Daniel is assured that the outcome is certain. So at the last verse, in verse 21, the angel tells him, I'm going to tell you everything that's written in the book of truth, and that's what happens in 11 and 12. He tells him everything is going to happen. And Daniel is assured that God will triumph. His People will be brought safely home. The battle will rage, but God is on your side. So let's end with just a few points of application about how we can fight this spiritual battle, other than just understanding that it's there. And that may be huge progress for some of us, just understanding that there is a spiritual battle that we are fighting. It might just be paradigm shifting, but we can't just stop there. Just a few thoughts on what it means to fight this battle, how we fight this battle. Some Christians have taken Daniel chapter 10, I think, in a very unhealthy trajectory. They have seen from Daniel chapter 10 a sense that there are spiritual forces of wickedness that are over, that seem to be assigned over particular geographical areas or territories. And from this, maybe some of you have heard of this or grew up in a church that practiced this, is this idea of territorial spirits. Now, I think, I think that's probably true. I think we see that in Daniel chapter 10, but they have taken from this that we are to go on attack against these territorial spirits or geographic demonic strongholds and that we're to, you know, shout and claim and bring down these territorial spirits and do spiritual battle against them. I think that's well intended, but I don't see any biblical admonition or exhortation in that direction. I see rather as we read the rest of the Bible especially in the New Testament where we see the spiritual battle waging I see Paul and Peter and the other apostles pointing Christians in a very simple simple trajectory of understanding who God is and standing on his truth so three quick thoughts won't have them on the screen just three quick thoughts about how we are to fight spiritual battles one is to understand and stand on the gospel. Now, some of you may be kind of psyched out. You're like, oh man, I just came from my cousin's child dedication and this guy's talking about demons. Man, I ain't coming back to this joint no more. Listen, you need to realize it's real, but you need to not be psyched out. The prescription for how to fight this is very simple. Listen to what John the Apostle says in the last book of the Bible about how Christians overcome this spiritual force of wickedness. Revelation chapter 7, a picture of this great battle. Revelation chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, this huge cataclysmic scene, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was No longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. That's giving us a picture of what will happen on that final day. Verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers, that's Satan, has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Verse 11. Know this verse. Stand on this verse. And they have conquered him. They, meaning the saints, the people of God, have conquered him, meaning our adversary, the devil. How? By praying against territorial spirits. No, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. So, in other words, the way these people fought this battle that has been raging since the beginning is they understood the gospel. They understood that what Jesus did on the cross by bearing the wrath of God for their sin, absorbing it, and then turning it into favor so that they are in right standing with God. And as Reynolds read for us earlier out of John 10, meaning that nothing can snatch them out of his hand, is the greatest and the most secure of all truths. Friends, we have something far, far more troublesome and more ferocious than demonic powers fighting against our soul. If we are not trusting in Christ, we have the dreadful, fearsome, eternal wrath of a holy and just God. Our greatest issue is not where we stand with demons or the devil, our greatest issue is where we stand with our holy creator God. And John in Revelation 12 is saying that those who are trusting in Jesus will be saved from the wrath of God. (laughs) And they will know who they are and then notice it says, and they love them, they're not their lives, even to the death. That means, is that there must be something more important than these 80 or 90 years because some of them were martyred, some of them were killed, but even death can't take their life away because they will be with him forever and ever and ever. So, friends, we have something far greater to fear than demonic powers or even earthly death. We have God's wrath, but if we are trusting in Christ, we are safe and secure from that no matter what the devil and his minions may bring. Friends, that should put steel in our spines. Understand and stand in the gospel. Listen right now, listen to me. If you've been psyched out and you don't know much about Christianity and you're like, oh my gosh, this is above my head. Listen, that's not true. You can figure out stupid cheat codes on dumb video games which are so complex, it blows my mind. You can understand this. The Bible is clear that God has created everything, that mankind fell into sin, and that we are separated from him, and that is where all people stand. And if you are not trusting in Christ, that is, in fact, where you stand right now. And you have something greater to fear than spiritual forces of wickedness that are raging against your soul. You need to be made right with the holy God. And God has provided a way for you. God the Son, God the eternally holy Son, Jesus comes, bears humanity, lives a perfect life where we have all rebelled. Jesus completely obeys. And then he lays down his perfect, fully human and fully divine life on the cross. And because he's not just a perfect human, but because he's the eternal holy Son of God, divine in all of his ways, he has enough (laughs) holiness to atone for all the sin of all who would ever trust in him. And he absorbs God's wrath. He satisfies it. The biblical word is propitiation, Romans chapter 8. He satisfies it. He extinguishes it. He turns it into favor and grace. And now, because he is the victor, he has the power to call you to life right now and give you the very thing that he requires of you. And so if you feel that stirring, if you know that you are separated from God, what you need to do right now is not figure out some rational argument. You need to put your hope in Christ and say that my greatest need is to be right with God and Jesus has done that for me. And now the wrath of God is removed and the grace of God and the righteousness of Jesus is yours because he gave you faith so that you could it and apprehend it. Do that right now. Now, dear friend, don't wait for me to utter a prayer that you need to repeat. Do it right now. Turn in your heart and in your mind away from self-trust and believe in Jesus and be safe and secure in Him. I had two more points, but they're not as important. Friends, that's it right there. The battle rages. Young man, the enemy is crouching at the doorstep of your heart seeking to devour you like a lion. Young woman, old woman, old man, He prowls about like a lion seeking whom he may devour. But we overcome him by understanding who Jesus is and what he's done and understanding who we are in light of him. Dear Christian brother or sister, see that afresh and cling to Christ and as Paul let us abide with him. Dear friend who is not yet trusting in Jesus, that is your only hope. You may have a thousand other questions, and we'd love to answer them and walk through that with you. But right now, look away from yourself and look to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, wake us from our slumber. We are so easily lulled to sleep by comfort, materialism. We are distracted, we are insecure, we are anxious. draw our hearts away from these wicked schemes, these subtle and wicked schemes of our adversary and fasten our hearts to the truth of the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Himself, who bore the weight of our sin and rose again in victory over death, sin, the grave, and every territorial spirit. Every false prince, and he has guaranteed that no one can snatch us from your hand. May we fasten ourselves to that truth, and may the reality of this battle that rages for every human soul wake. Someone up in this room to run to Christ. Lord, we take comfort in the fact that in some strange and unexplainable and mysterious and beautiful way, you are sovereign. You allow this battle to rage even though you have etched it all in your book. You will lose none of those that you have set your affection on an eternity past. Lord, call them to yourself even now. Thank you for the battle that we are fighting now for the assurance that it has already been won. In Jesus' name, amen.